0: Hang on, true story. Operation CIA, that movie's basically why I became a secret agent in the first place. Really? Yes. That movie was just god awful.
1: And we are back. It's episode three of Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz, our cinematic excursion through the work of the magnificent Vic Diaz. You know him, the Filipino character actor. You've seen him in a million things. You've wondered, who's that guy? Why is he so charming, but also creepy? Well, that's what we're exploring here on this show. As usual, I'm here with my co-host, Doug Tilly, and we're going to be discussing the film Operation CIA, a tedious... That's putting it mildly. Bond ripoff starring a mustacheless Burt Reynolds, the worst kind of Burt Reynolds. Doug, how are you doing, my friend?
0: I'm doing great. I didn't realize you were going to read my copy like that. That's good stuff.
1: Yeah, man. Why not?
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is a tedious movie. I, I sometimes feel weird if at the beginning of an episode of a podcast, we talk about a movie that we're about to talk about at length being boring because i feel like listeners would be like why would i want to listen to two people talk about a boring movie but hopefully we haven't already driven people off enough with our niche fucking uh uh discussion about vic diaz generally that they might stick around and and listen to there is a lot of interesting things around operation cia but that movie not so much
1: I just think if people are listening, it's because they're interested in Vic Diaz. They're curious <laughs> about uh, the history of his career. And either they've watched along with us, which, you know, we always announce what movie it's going to be. So they could have easily done the work to watch it. and Now they want to hear us talk about it. Or they want to hear us talk about it because they want to know if it's worth their time. So we're going right. to, uh, you know, solve that for them. The answer being, unless you're turned on by a mustacheless Burt Reynolds. Mm, i don't know if you're going to want to jump into this one uh even if
0: you are you can just watch deliverance instead that's oh god
1: (laughs) um so uh you know we mentioned that this is a bit of a a bond ripoff although i would make the argument that uh that's sort of like saying any movie with a spy is a bond ripoff because uh outside of the very poorly executed espionage there's not a lot of other james bondness in this movie but but i did want to ask you doug um how do you feel about James Bond? Like, are you a James Bond fan? And, and how do you feel about spy films in general? Uh, do they appeal to you? And what is it that appeals to you about them?
0: it's well, a, a lot of big questions there, Liam. I mean, this is a movie that wouldn't exist without the James Bond films. I think that's at least clear to say. The whole idea of a kind of globetrotting uh, secret agent, working by himself who also is irresistible to the ladies. I mean the the the, the tropes are here. It, he doesn't do the gadget thing. He doesn't um he doesn't have that kind of suave nature that you expect out of James Bond, but the lead character here played by Burt Reynolds is definitely um it, they want this guy to be a James Bondish character, I think when watching the movie. I mean it sucks, but it that's the what we get down to it. And I do really like James Bond movies, Liam. I like this the the older ones. I like it when he was so square that he talked about that you can't listen to the Beatles without wearing earmuffs. I like the campy stuff. I like uh I like the George Lazenby Bond and I like the Timothy Dalton stuff. I start to lose interest in the Paris Brosnan Days, uh, after the after GoldenEye, I really just tuned out entirely And I did, just like a lot of people I came back for the Daniel Craig one But I think I've seen enough of the James Bond oeuvre <laughs> That I can say that that I am A general fan of the series And I like it right from The beginning, I like Dr. No I like Goldfinger, I like those early Sean Connery Bonds, but I like the, the really silly Roger Moore, Moore ones as well So what I really am trying to say is I think that this is the kind of property that can support a lot of different stories, which I think is something the best properties can do.
1: I uh, I don't have quite the experience. I've watched a smattering of Bond. I would say, compared to a lot of people I know, I've probably watched more Bond than people who don't consider themselves Bond fans. <laughs> but then compared to people who actually like these movies, I've watched far less. Uh, for me, the appeal of James Bond has always been his... Uh, well, a gadgets. I love the gadget stuff. Yeah, I think it's absolutely. Great. B his uh his sense of self composure, which I guess is a little different for the Daniel Craig films. But in a lot of these movies, Bond is in charge even when he's not in charge. And even when he is in danger, you're kind of like, yeah, it's James Bond. It's going to be fine. You know, and I think uh for me and maybe this is different than some of the ones I haven't seen. One of the interesting things about the Daniel Craig movies is occasionally you're like, man, James Bond's really losing his shit right now, which is like just not how I think of James Bond, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But in general, I realize what I enjoy about any spy film is the sense of intrigue, the complicated levels of deceit and double cross, and, you know, a a level of complication that I need to pay attention to to keep up with, Uh, which is why. I was interested that this film seemed to have none of that. That outside of lying and danger, I don't know what this film has in common with other spy films. Uh, also, the idea that the U.S. can do whatever it wants with any, without any consideration <laughs> for rule of law. Uh, other than that, I don't really. <laughs> that hits know. a little too close to home for me. <laughs> uh, other than that, I don't really know what this film has in com- common with well, any other spy film.
0: Well, going back to what you were just saying about. Like, let's list the things that you like about the James Bond films, and we'll talk about whether they exist in the movie that we're going to be talking about today.
1: Uh, James but you like Bond, the gadgets. I love the gadgets. James, You Bond, like
0: suave, confident James Bond.
1: He's extraordinarily good at things. Right. I like um, the international jet setting, where it's like each new part of the mission has some interesting place where he is.
0: Sure, Absolutely.
1: I like the interesting villains. Um, you know, sometimes they're cartoonish. You know, but uh, but even if they're just threatening, there's this idea that there are um, characters he is in opposition to that are worth paying attention to because of their menace or eccentricities or whatever it is. Right.
0: So for me, all those things, I especially like the uh, that the villain always has like a secondary villain yep. that usually has some sort of really kind of specific um, ability or, you know, like odd job throwing his hat, that sort of thing. Uh, I also love the sets in the early James Bond movies, the Ken Adams sets, those kind of giant, really um, well laid out and really wide screen looking sets. And I like the music, the the John Barry, James Bond music that that were in so many of the films. So this movie has the jet setting, it does have a secondary villain, and that's kind of it.
1: Even the jet setting, it's a one-location jet set. My man goes from one place to another, and then he mostly just hangs out in that place which is not as usual, for, for at least for the James Bond movies I've seen. Again, I'm no expert. But what I've seen, James Bond tends to go to a few different places, and they tend to be interesting places to look at. Uh, and I don't think that's true of this movie.
0: Now, have you ever seen any of the James Bond ripoffs from the mid to late 60s, from like uh, Italy or, or even some of the TV series that kind of take from James Bond?
1: I don't think I have. Can you give me some examples?
0: Well, there's Operation Kid Brother, which has Sean Connery's brother in it, but there's all, there's like tons and tons, like, and when I say tons and tons, I mean dozens and dozens of movies which had different combinations of numbers in the title. So instead of 007, it'd be like 009 or 999 or things like that. And they all have a character that's very similar to James Bond, usually, <laughs> usually jetting around Italy for some reason, <laughs> uh, and, and use a lot of the tropes from them. Um, but uh, there's a few that were appeared on Mystery Science Theater 3000 But I've seen a few separate as well They could be a lot of fun Because they kind of generally lean into the camp aspects of things And then when it comes to the TV shows Well, there's TV shows like The Man from U.N.C.L.E. And, I mean, really even things like I Spy Which um, we'll talk about a little bit later, actually You know, shows that kind of glamorized spy And, um, and international intrigue uh, that, that came from that popularity of the James Bond movie
1: no, never, none of them. Unless you count Fox Force Five, uh, I haven't <laughs> seen anything like this with the number in the name. I've I've only seen the James Bond films. I will say our character today seems, in my mind, to have a lot more common. Speaking of Mystery Science Theater, with uh, I think it's Mitchell. Yes, in the movie. Mm-hmm. He seems like an international jet-setting Mitchell in a lot of ways. Only uh, Mitchell's charming, and uh, this dude is not. So. Yeah.
0: Just to take it back to to the Philippines again, since we're this is usually where the films that we talk about on this podcast are set, Have you ever seen any of uh, Wang Wang's movies like For Your Height Only? Or um, I mean, he's, he made a few, but For Your Height Only was specifically supposed to be a reference to uh, James Bond.
1: I've only seen For Your Height Only. You know, it played at the Philadelphia Film Fest as part of like. A, it was actually when. Uh, Machete Maidens Unleashed came out. They did right. a few Filipino movies at the Philly Film Fest, and I checked out For Your Hide Only. I really liked it. Um, And, you know, uh, doing a podcast with, uh, with a Pinoy gentleman, uh, Josh has, has recommended some other uh, Filipino films. But as far as uh, Wang Wang, I've only gotten to check out For Your Hide Only. I kind of would like to do more, but I, I haven't had a context to, like, search them out.
0: Right. Well, I mean, that's fair enough. It's it's interesting because I don't think anyone has ever placed one of the James Bond ripoffs as being as good. I mean, I, this might be a real generalization. I'm sure there are people who specify and have like a lot of knowledge and a lot of expertise in terms of these James Bond ripoffs. But generally, they're always missing something that makes those James Bond movies so entertaining for so many people. Um, and Operation CIA certainly Certainly follows suit with that It's interesting because it's so early too right? I mean the James Bond Doctor No I think is 1962 Operation CIA is from 1965 Uh, I will say that Of all the films that we've covered On this podcast so far Liam I think this one We have Vic Diaz as the clear highlight of Like there's almost no other competition In terms of what the best thing about this movie is When you watch Operation CIA The the performance that you're going to come away from Is Vic Diaz's
1: One hundred percent. He injects the character in this film. Uh, So many people are sort of like nameless or not distinct or easy to forget. But then I even if you've never heard the name, if you've watched this movie and I tell you who we're talking about, you will know who Vic Diaz is.
0: Well, with that in mind, why don't we take a break, Liam? Usually uh, I should expect you to throw to that. And I apologize for stepping on you. But during this break, let's hear a little bit from Vic Diaz's performance in Operation CIA.
1: Now tell me. I've taken a great deal of trouble to eliminate your ambassador and his staff. And I do not want to discard my plans or even change them unless necessary. So? I want you to tell me what you know to save us both a lot of unnecessary discontent and inconvenience, not to mention time. Well, I'll tell you, Professor, time is one thing I've got plenty of. Of time, you have very little. By the way, Professor, you seem to know a little about everything. Did you ever study hepatology? Snakes. Yes, we have several. A varied specimen. Interesting specimen. I would like to show one of them to you, if I may. A young agent working for the CIA is assigned to Saigon to stop a planned political assassination. It's 1965's Operation CIA, uh, directed by Christian Nibi, 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 Nibi. Mm-hmm. Sure. Directed by Christian Niby, uh who also directed The Thing from Another World. Sort uh, of. Sort of. Directed The Thing From Another World?
0: Well, I mean, maybe this is worth discussing just quickly, Liam. Notoriously, uh, The Thing From Another World was produced by the famous director Howard Hawks, and many people think that Howard Hawks actually was the director of it, to the point where if you go to the Internet Movie Database, they are co-credited as the directors of that movie. And when you watch, say, this movie, Operation CIA... It's hard to believe that a movie as exciting and, um, and fast-paced and interesting as The Thing from Another World was directed by the same person. So, I mean, your, your mileage may vary. I don't want to be too disparaging of Christian Nyby because he's most known for, as being an editor. He edited a lot of famous movies like The Big Sleep and Red River, like a lot of Howard Hawks movies generally. He was his favorite editor. But in this case, uh, I think the direction of this movie kind of gives support to the idea that he didn't direct The Thing from Another World.
1: Well, I you know I, I I have no horse in that race, but I will say <laughs> that one of the writers was Bill S. Bollinger, who uh, um, wrote for a lot of TV, including I Spy, which we mentioned earlier, and uh, Pierre J. Oppenheimer, who wrote uh, 1974's The Bunny Caper and 1976's Nashville Girl, two films that will go down in history. For their important, I've never heard of those movies. Is what
0: I'm trying to say. <laughs> I saw some of the trailers. They, I think, they just they looked like exactly what you would expect them to look like. The director, sure. by the way, Christian uh, Nyby also went on to direct episodes of tons and tons of television, including episodes of I Spy. Which, I mean, I Spy took the idea of James Bond movies in the sense that there's a lot of going around the world and unique locations. We even talked about I Spy on one of our other Cinema Smorgasbord podcasts because an episode features the uh, the Jackie Chan uh, when he was still a child. Some of the only footage ever of The Seven uh, Golden Fortunes.
1: Yeah, um, and I Spy is, you know, totally holds up, right? And there's nothing to feel weird about or...
0: What's great about it is that you can watch it and relax without having to think about the terrible things going on in the world because of one of the lead actors ended up doing horrible, horrible things and is in prison right
1: this very second. That is that is true. At least he's in prison. That's It's better than other things you could watch and say, wow, this guy got away with being a monster. Um, okay, so uh, we've kind of given away already how we're feeling about Operation CIA, um, but I, I want to get into a little bit of like the plot of the film because there's a lot of details that the movie spends time on that are not the planned political assassination. So, Doug, can you walk us through a little bit of what functions as plot points in this movie?
0: Uh, Sort of. So the the concept is that, uh, it takes place in Saigon and and what's really particularly interesting about this movie, by the way, is that it was made in nineteen sixty five The Vietnam War was ramping up, and this is one of the few films to basically over the next decade to even acknowledge the difficulties that were going on in Vietnam uh, It became uh, you know off limits for a lot of discussion outside of propaganda after that and they didn't they weren't able to film this movie in Vietnam because the tensions were rising so despite the fact that this movie takes place entirely in Saigon, it was all filmed. Quite obviously, in Thailand, uh, they don't even really try to hide that to any great extent. So we have an agent who uh, is being brought to uh, Saigon under the auspices of being an agricultural expert. And this agent is Mark Andrews, played by Burt Reynolds. And he he basically needs to, to contact someone that they have there, get some information about what's going on regarding an assassination that's supposed to take place at the American embassy. And that's basically it. It's supposed to be a lot of, like, intrigue and not knowing who to trust. And there are elements of that. But this Mark Andrews character just basically spends most of the runtime confused until someone says, this is going to happen here right now. And then he just runs and runs and runs and runs until he gets to that place to stop the thing from happening
1: when we say to you the listener that my man is not exactly smooth one of the major early plot points (laughs) is he goes to a massage parlor to get a massage seems confused that uh the general vibe of the massage parlor is more um house of ill repute than place to get a massage and then gets knocked out by one of his masseuse ladies and they (laughs) steal his wallet like he's a like he's a schlub like like, what sort of secret agent not only can't keep their identity a secret, but gets robbed by just like common criminals? Like there's, Wait,
0: Go ahead. I, I, I just want to break it down a little bit, right? So the person that that Mark Andrews needs to make contact with is his code name or their code name is Credit. So he sees this ad for a massage place that says you can use cash or credit, and I think uh. that that's why he's like, oh. I need to go to this massage place This might be the lead I, I am looking for He goes there It's obviously something is up, right? All these women are bringing them into a room And I mean, it, it's so clear that it's going to be a scam He gets his wallet stolen After getting karate chopped in the back of the neck He comes out and he's rightfully upset and he confronts the owner and he's like the owner's like oh those girls are new they just ran away he confronts this other guy who i guess is supposed to be like the security and he just like pushes him down but he never gets his money back and he this has no bearing on the rest of the plot whatsoever
1: uh i think it's meant to suggest the danger and the um the foreignness the sort of fish out of waterness of him but again uh a that works in such, like, a quite honestly racist way. Like, he's in a foreign country. Of course Absolutely. they want to rob him. And B, it sets up our character as not very reliable. And and that continues throughout, you know, he gets back to his hotel room. Someone's been rifling through his stuff. Like, what kind of secret agent's like, I guess I'll just leave my, uh, my suitcase in my hotel room with all my secret shit. And I'm sure that'll be cool. And then he walks out of his hotel room. He sees an obviously untrustworthy bellboy. And they just menacingly stare at each other for like Mm -hmm. 30 seconds and you're just kind of like what's other than to establish that this dude is bad at being secret. Why are we seeing these things happen? Because do they end up playing any particular role in the plot? Not that I can tell. They're just continuing to establish that he doesn't know what he's doing. There's even the, the one of the better scenes that involves our man is, uh, you know, he gives his first lecture We don't need to see the lecture, and we certainly don't need to see that he has no idea what he's doing, but that's part of the plot is that he's there pretending to be a professor of something he knows nothing about, and that's (laughs) for some reason important for us to know for the film.
0: It's, I think there's a story to be told about a young secret agent who is in way over his head, who's brought into the situation where initially, because he's so naive he gets taken advantage of, and then that is what, what uh trains him and informs him enough to be like, Oh, I need to take this more seriously and then we see him get better throughout it, and by the end he's like he's like a James Bondish, suave secret agent. But that's not how this plays out. He seems to be just as incompetent for the remainder of the movie, and it's only when he can use his physicality and start punching people that he's effective at all. I mean, remember Liam by the way, this is like this movie is not light like a most James Bond movies are and fun like this this isn't really a fun movie but there's a particularly dark moment where he uh he he's having like this interaction with these kids who are trying to sell him flowers and these flowers look terrible and they try to get 10 bucks for him and he gives them 10 cents and it's supposed to be this fun thing and he starts to walk away and someone just throws a grenade at him and the grenade kills these three kids. And then it just cuts to him going to the next scene and he's got a big smile on his face and it's just like, "Well, what was the point of that?" <laughs>
1: I again, I think there's a um I wonder to what extent that the tone of this movie is confused because of us ramping up our participation in the Vietnam War. I say us, yeah. I mean the US, mm. obviously not you, you Canadian coward. <laughs> actually, but, actually uh, me specifically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean like <laughs> whatever you say baby killer yeah exactly well that's the thing right like this film is so uninterested in the complicated feelings that you might have about the war itself uh and instead it it wants to you know just put our character in the context that is this complicated conflict and and this comes up later in you know People double crossing, manipulation by the Viet Cong, all that sort of stuff um, is present. But the film, I, I feel like, doesn't have enough. It, it wants to have a certain gravitas in order to even talk about these issues, but it can never manage it. But it also isn't fun and funny. It's like it's not serious, but it doesn't it can't pull off any jokes. Burt Reynolds is never charming. He's just kind no. of annoyed the whole movie. And I guess you're just supposed to be like, ugh, oh, that guy's is real annoyed, man. I'd be annoyed too. I mean, he's definitely like, horny, right? I mean, oh, that's, yeah, what they, that's
0: really what they took from Bond, is that this guy's horny. He hits... He, like, really transparently hits on every woman he encounters. And... But that's supposed to be a good thing. But he doesn't do it in a fun, charming way. Uh, he's just, like... He literally... So, the, the way that he's trained to be an, an expert in agriculture is that on the plane ride... To this location He's paired with this um, This female French secret agent I guess or she has some connection with the agency And she trains him in all this information But he's basically pawing her And stroking her hair And rubbing her arm the entire time (laughs) Just basically it's like hey I don't want to learn homework I want to you know fuck in the bathroom But I mean that's it. it, Instead of showing him as being kind of cool It makes him seem like he's totally Unprofessional
1: There's a sense in which making him um, the butt of the joke is supposed to be charming, but it's never funny. It's never charming because it's never funny. If any of the jokes at his expense landed, you'd be like, huh. I mean, maybe not. Maybe that wouldn't work. But my guess is that it would make the rest of the film relatable because you'd be like, yeah, he's a bit of an asshole. I'm a bit of an asshole. OK, I get it. It's fun. You know, Um, you, you know, you, you started off with a clip from Archer. Archer's the great example of that is that there's something relatable about him, even as you watch him be a, a, a jerk. <laughs> uh, that never happens with Burt Reynolds character in this film. Uh, Towards the end, you're obviously pulling for him because you don't want there to be a mass death at the embassy I guess but uh but you know what does he do he just is like punching people there's no uh insight there's no skill he he's not smart he doesn't figure anything out it's it just seems like we needed someone there to punch people and he just happened to be the guy who got to punch people
0: rather notoriously Burt Reynolds hated this movie uh and probably for a lot of different reasons he just thought it was a very poorly made movie Movie generally But uh, a bit of IMDB trivia Might actually give us a little more insight Into why he disliked it I'm just going to read it straight up After filming a fight scene in a river That was contaminated with pollutants Near the end of shooting Burt Reynolds went to Alabama To participate in a march With Dr. Martin Luther King Jr One day he woke up in hospital With lymph glands The size of softballs At first it was assumed He had Hodgkin's disease Finally it was revealed His mystery illness Was schizotosomiasis Which is snail eggs in the bloodstream and by luck, the cure was only discovered two years earlier. So, uh, I, you know, he at least he had a lot of memories about the making of this movie.
1: My man had snails in his blood. Like, <laughs> holy shit.
0: So I don't, I don't know if we mentioned this in any uh, detail so far, but yeah, they were meant to, to film this in Vietnam. And you already kind of referenced this, Liam, but I just want to focus on it again for a second. I think when they thought up the idea for this, the idea of doing something in a part of the world that had not had a lot of movies made in it, that uh, had some tension in it but maybe didn't seem so dangerous as it was to become, probably seemed like a good idea. But now it seems like this really weird snapshot of a very specific space and time. There's a part where, where uh, Burt Reynolds' character sees some students protesting um and and it's supposed to be like he he barely pays any mind to it but i think he even says something like like they shouldn't be doing that or something like that and you know just to think about where the united states would be going in the next five years makes it seem so dated even you know 1965 to 1969 seems like it's like a world away from each other
1: i wonder to what extent too he is aware that he's i mean this is basically a propaganda film i don't think it's Funny enough, I don't think it's as smart as a propaganda film, (laughs) because we end up just looking like idiots who don't know what we're doing. Uh, And, and you know, the only reference to the, you know, our involvement in Vietnam is about us replacing the French, basically. Right, 100%. they've created a mess and we're going to come in and clean it up. And then we're going to reap the rewards of having cleaned up their mess. Uh, and, and also I guess, quote unquote, fight communism though. That's complicated <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, but then in reality, um, in this film, there, every mention of the French is like how they screwed up or they did something wrong or that, you know what I mean? Like there's no positive reference to them. There's not really any examples of us doing anything right in the film. So, I don't know as a piece of propaganda it doesn't really work uh, other uh, it doesn't really have a clear politics other than him really being bummed out by these student protesters <laughs> yeah. and 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 you know being threatened by other than his sex partner you know most of the actual asian characters in the film seem to wish him harm or to be there to die so like i get it like there's that you know uh, underlying you know white man in the far east sort of racism going on but it's not even it, it's not even present enough i think to scratch that itch for someone who likes that sort of thing it's just sort of there, like oh yeah i guess it's not safe in vietnam which is like yeah man i don't is that it is that an insightful thing for a movie is that like your whole plot is like guy goes the guy goes to vietnam to serve the empire and turns out has a bad time like i don't i i don't know i don't i don't know what's supposed to be compelling about it
0: i mean don't get us wrong in a lot of the travelogue aspects of the James Bond movies Especially the early ones There's a lot of iffy material When it sure, comes to sure. race And and the context of those places in the world But but part of it was meant to show off How beautiful a lot of those locations are You're not going to get that here Because A, the location you're looking at Isn't even Vietnam, it's Thailand right. and, and like you said There is this undercurrent of uh, of that everything here is dangerous from the people to the animals to everything, that it, it basically is like a warning. Do not come to Vietnam, which, uh, I mean, maybe a a, a good thing to, <laughs> a warning that maybe the, the United States should have learned uh, something about. But, I mean, it really is a case where it's not, it's not fulfilling the same purpose as you would normally see in the spy movies at this time.
1: Well, I think you're missing one aspect of this uh, in relation to James Bond, which is that, Um, showing those locations reminds you of the power and scope of Her Majesty's Empire. That's true. Bond goes to these places because all of these places are part of this insignificant, shitty little island that somehow impacts the whole (laughs) world, which is just a historical fact that this small little place is actually important to many places in the world now because of, you know, racism and violence. But um, if this movie is meant to do the same thing for America, then what we're seeing is America are the latecomers who don't know what the fuck they're doing and just sort of bumble their way into punching the right people and manage not to get killed. It's not exactly a, a, a hype up, you know, even in the bond films in that I've seen at least in which he sort of stumbles around a little bit, or he mm-hmm. has to like, he gets himself into trouble and then has to like get himself. There's something appealing about that where he shows some insight or some charm, or there's something he brings to the table that makes him extremely extraordinary and it's just this movie doesn't seem to grasp that that if only burt reynolds looked good for just a few minutes at anything the f- <laughs> it would be a different movie it still maybe wouldn't be exciting but you would at least be like okay i get it this guy is like cool and uh i don't know the film just never seems to get there to give us anything to latch on to about why this guy is cool or interesting or tough or whatever you know he could take a punch he has a Mildly harrowing fight next to an air conditioner I
0: guess (laughs) I mean he does fight his way uh, Out of being captured by Vic Diaz But we'll talk about that in just a minute First I just want to mention briefly One of the notable uh, tropes About James Bond movies that we didn't mention Was the Bond girl That each one of the films usually have some sort of Love interest for Bond And in this movie that character Is uh, Kim Chin who's played by uh, An actress named Q Chin uh, very close in terms of actually those two names. Um, but what's I think is kind of notable is that this actress, Q-Chin... Is way more interesting than a lot of what we've been talking about so far. She she is a philanthropist. She was an actress for dozens of years. She's still with us. Uh, she's been given countless numbers of awards for her philanthropy. Uh, she won an Emmy for uh, her own life story uh, years and years back. Really, really interesting. I think she's probably best known for being in the Joy Luck Club. She had a very visible presence in that movie. Um, but, but you get she has a kind of a thankless role as kind of uh, Burt Reynolds' contact. Within Vietnam, and the person who's kind of showing him around, but I like that she, even though he's hitting on her all the time, and at the end it's shown that she really does find him, you know, that she she does like him a lot. That she's not sexualized as much as you would normally see that sort of character sexualized in a James Bond movie.
1: Yeah, I I gotta agree with you on that, Doug. But also, I think it's part of the film overall, which is that for a character as horny as Mark seems to be. Uh, The movie's largely sexless. Uh, Other than this one character, he's mostly unsuccessful in charming any women. And in this particular case, I'm still unsure that the film gives us the visual evidence of why she is charmed by... It. Like, what where, there aren't a lot of moments where I understand why she is attracted to him, if that makes sense, you well, know? I think it, um, it, it,
0: the, from watching what we're actually given, the only reason she seems to be is because he saves her life at one point, which probably isn't the the healthiest basis for a, a relationship.
1: No, I mean, it, it certainly doesn't get past some of the ways she's also seen him be dumb. But... Uh, but yeah it's it's kind of weird cuz i agree like she definitely is functioning in a certain manner um as the as the as the bond girl of this film but you know those james bond movies while they were often misogynistic and had awful aspects to them there was a sexiness that they were trying to sell and there doesn't seem to be any of that in this movie there's not a single moment where i Uh, believe this man is wooing any women around him
0: also can we talk about how bad the title is operation cia i mean i know that that was not the original title that they had titles that were referencing vietnam specifically originally but operation cia is such a boring generic title for a spy movie
1: do we think that part of the issue here though is that the cia had not yet come into the intellectual sort of uh conversation the way that they would later like wasn't it still a new idea or what were were people well aware of what the CIA was and how it operated
0: I mean even if that was the case just putting it maybe there was like kind of this general interest it's like what is this CIA thing we want to know more about it and then by putting it in the title they felt like that might draw in some attention but this was originally called last message from Saigon which usually you would put like I mean if the interest of this is that it takes place in Vietnam then why not call it something that actually makes reference to that? But maybe you're right. Maybe the CIA part was supposed to be the draw.
1: It's possible. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. it Only... It wouldn't take very long for the national consciousness to turn on the CIA. Within right. within five years, people know what the CIA is, and for the most part, they think it's a bad thing. I think that that happened relatively quickly uh, for for people who knew what it was, you know. But at this point, I just don't know how common it was. I mean, you figure in the sixties, people were still getting used to the idea of. What a lot of federal organizations, you know, like people still were figuring out exactly what the FBI was. They knew what it, that it existed, but how did it function or, you know, what, what was the function of the CIA? What did it do in the world? Um, you know, I, I think there's some sense in which it's a new idea. Now, I don't know that that makes the title better, but I at least understand. If, if, if everyone knows what the CIA is, calling this movie Operation CIA is like, what does that even mean?
0: <laughs> yeah, right? Especially because that's not what the mission is actually called within the movie proper Liam, I think we've been beating up on this movie a lot, and it deserves it But there are some good things about it, and probably the main good thing about it is Vic Diaz I think yep. we should talk about the guy that we're here to talk about, Vic Diaz, the great character actor So I mentioned before that one of the things I like about James Bond movies is that the villain usually has sort of some sort of sub-villain um, and we talked about things like Odd Job, uh, Villachez And The Mammoth Golden Gun Those type of characters that you would recognize from a lot of those films In this movie, we have a, uh, another professor, Professor Yen Who is, he's not explicitly like a uh, henchman or something like that But we know that he's a bad guy fairly early on He's the person that, uh, that Burt Reynolds' character is investigating And his distinctive kind of feature is that he has this high-pitched laugh that he does. So he has this kind of jovial nature, but he's also has a lot of menace to him. What did you think Liam of Vic Diaz in this movie?
1: Um, I thought he was, and we sort of said this already. So I, I hope it doesn't feel to the listener, like we're repeating ourselves, but he injects a certain amount of fun and interestingness to an otherwise bland movie. You know, he stands yes. out. He's got that high pitched voice that Vic Diaz fans kind of know he can pull off. He has this ridiculous laugh. He even, Uh, unleashes the laugh as a sort of calling card at various points Um, and he has a bit of menace to him uh, in a a film in which you know uh, one of our main bad guys is such a soft-spoken kind of uh i think he's british right is that guy at the end british or american
0: i think he's american it's uh, at that point i I, there was like a lengthy period because it's hard to tell what the motivations behind a lot of these people's actions are. But the main thing is that there is a plan to put arsenic in the... Am I right on that? Oh, cyanide, sorry. Cyanide in the air conditioning unit of the American um, uh, embassy to kill the people that are there. And that's what, what Burt Reynolds has to stop from happening. Right. And it's led by this dude who we barely get to know at all throughout the movie.
1: And there's, there's no explanation of why. I mean... Um, again, not that we get a lot of background on Vic Diaz, but I guess that's the thing, right? Is like if you're not gonna have characters with any depth, they should at least have quirk. They should at least have some texture so you can remember them. And Vic Diaz stands out that you know, the first time correct me if I'm wrong, but the first time we see him is during the lecture, right? He's doing the translating.
0: Well, no, he's the first time we see him is uh, he meets
1: um, oh yes for Reynolds right. character That's right. and they get on the bus together. Yes, yes, yes. I forgot about that. But you know, even in that scene, and then in in the lecture scene, he's immediately memorable. He's being ridiculous. It's I guess the way to put it, and not that we're either one of us are like you know acting experts or anything like that, but the, the way to put it is he's making choices. He's making very bold, intentional choices about what this person is like. And the other people in the film, they're just being very mild for the most part. Um, there's a couple of people who don't really talk, who just kind of like give menacing looks. I guess that's a choice as well. But, uh, but you know, some of our other characters that actually speak are just kind of like easily forgettable. They just don't stand out. And immediately Vic Diaz is like, oh, who's this guy? What is he doing? And honestly, I mean, maybe this is a bad thing, but to me... Because he was so interesting, I, I did immediately think, like, oh, he must be one of the bad guys.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think that's fair to say. Uh, I, I do think that the most James bond scene in this movie, and it's the one that, that we uh, had the clip of earlier, is one where as his character, Dr. Yen, has, um, has Burt Reynolds' character being trapped by like two, I guess, subordinates who are, who are uh, sent out to grab, grab a snake which is meant to either intimidate him or eventually kill him. And, of course, um, instead of, of being victimized by the snake, Burt Reynolds just punches people and then ends up stabbing uh, Vic character to death – this is That's a very recognizable scene From a James Bond movie In that that happens in almost all of them Where he's trapped at one point He's being threatened He There's some sort of unique threat That's being presented And then he has to either punch Or think his way out of it In this case there was no, no sense That he was ever going to think his way out of it So he knew the punching was likely But that whole sequence I think works really well And also shows off that Burt Reynolds Did a lot of his own stunts Probably out of necessity in this movie He does throw himself around quite capably I don't think anyone would come away from this thinking that Burt Reynolds is this great uh, actor or this great screen presence, but particularly in the final 15 minutes, which is basically just his long chase to get to the embassy. He does show a lot of really good physicality, uh, which is really the the most interesting action that you see in this movie.
1: It's true. And, you know, I, I, we are kind of slamming it. There are a couple of moments where, Um, even if the action isn't choreographed well, that some of the camera work is actually um, insightful, like following it pretty well. There's a couple of exciting chase moments. um, And, you know, I want to make fun of the fight in the basement just because they seem pretty tired pretty quickly in this fight. There's not that much going on, but even the way the fight is shot, considering the tightness of the location and and the limitations technically, it's not bad. You know, it's it's it is what it is, but there's just not enough interesting in the film to really carry you to that final sort of ex, quote unquote explosion of action. And even when that action occurs, uh, you know, and maybe this is just me judging a time period. It's it's not like in 1965 there were um so many films that I'm like, wow, the action is just uh, so, you know, uh, I'm gripping my seat uh, with excitement, but this is not, this is even bad for that time period in in my estimation.
0: I mean, this was maybe a little bit before James Bond movies were known for having these gigantic stunts in them. Sure. But it it is notable how little action occurs in this movie up until those final 15 minutes. Really a lot of this movie is just, it's just uh, Burt Reynolds' character going places and then, encountering people or having some sort of thing happen to him and then retreating back to his hotel room again and again and again to the point where it almost became comical at one point where he's just like, let's go back to the hotel. Let's go back to the hotel.
1: I, it's little decisions like that, that make the film feel so limited. Like it, And it probably is. But this is one of those films where you feel like there must have been no budget because so (laughs) little set pieces occur. And the few that do occur are not that, you know, there's a moment where uh, I mentioned the laugh being a punchline. There's a moment where Vic Diaz attempts to murder uh, um, Burt Reynolds and his companion with a with a speedboat. And it should be so exciting, and nothing about that sequence is exciting. The most exciting part is on his way uh, Way you hear him laugh that weird high pitched laugh, and you're like, "Oh, that's fake, cool." But that's it. like that's that's the whole that's the most interesting part of the sequence. It's really weird. it's it's done
0: so terribly, right? I mean, it's just one of those boat the boat should have been destroyed, But all you see is it kind of getting nudged. And we also know that the person who was driving the boat, the the sorry, the one that got hit, the the little river boat, uh ends up dying, but it's not like we see the guy go flying or anything like that. He looks completely uninterested by this boat running towards them. Yeah, that's a sequence that just falls so flat.
1: I don't know how much longer we can just beat up on this movie, Doug, but um I do think, you know, I don't think um I don't think we're being unfair. Um, so I'm okay with it, but.
0: Well, I know, I I think it's kind of a really notable movie for this podcast because it's a movie where the clear benefit of having Vic Diaz as an actor in your cast is shown so clearly, right? I mean, this is a, a person who has given, been given a very thankless role, um, um, One that doesn't even really make a lot of sense And isn't an engaging role in terms of his position And how it it connects to the plot But because of the performance Because of the little quirks of it It means that he's the highlight really of the entire movie And I think there's something to say about that I think a lot of the movies that we're going to see Going forward You know, the only good thing we're going to have to say about them Is going to be Vic Diaz in them
1: I mean, I think that's fair. I do I do. just want to say this is not something that I could strongly recommend to anyone who wasn't a Vic Diaz completist um, or a Burt Reynolds completist. Um, and I think, you know, just take Burt at heart that, you know, this is not a movie he was glad he was in. So, you know, that's, I, I think that's a good indicator. That being said, you know, I, I, I am kind of still glad that we're covering it because I think it's fun to see Vic Diaz stand out in that way.
0: It does make me very interested to see the movie Impasse from 1969, which uh, that that one actually takes place in the Philippines, and that has Burt Reynolds and Vic Diaz once again. So this is not the only Burt Reynolds and Vic Diaz team up we're ever going to see, uh, and I'm I, I'm hoping that that one might be a little bit.
1: <laughs> I wonder if a little if bit they, more entertaining. I wonder if when they meet, met up again, if uh, Vic asked them about his blood snails. My <laughs> hey has those blood snails doing. You got those snails in your blood. <laughs>
0: I guess we'll we'll uh, we'll do a little research before we actually cover it.
1: Well, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Google Vic Diaz, Burt Reynolds, blood <laughs> Just see what comes up. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay, that was episode three of uh, whatever happened to Vic Diaz <laughs> and our coverage of Operation CIA, uh, a film we felt mixed about. But again, we know that if you're listening Did to this we? podcast. <laughs> If you're listening to this podcast, you are a real Vic Diaz freak, so you're probably going to make the time to watch it. Um, what are we covering next time on uh, this very podcast, Doug?
0: On the next episode, we've got something particularly special. Uh, this is Vic Diaz's last credited performance on the Internet Movie Database. It's from the year 2001, and it's called Yamashita, the Tiger's Treasure, directed by Cheeto S. Ronio. Uh, this is a movie I know nothing about. It is on Amazon Prime in the US. So if you want to watch along with us, please uh, check it out there. That's where we're going to check it out. Uh, and uh, yeah, really curious about this and, and probably a little bittersweet to see Vic Diaz in the uh, twilight of his career.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it, actually. But, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, if uh, people want to keep up with us, Doug, what, what's a good way to to find out what's going on in Cinema Smorgasbord world? How do, how do they find what? out about us?
0: Well, you can always find the latest episode over at cinepunks.com, and you can check out all the wonderful podcasts there. If you just want to subscribe, you want to check out all of our previous episodes, you can do that over at cinemasmorgasbord.com, or you can find updates on Twitter at Cinema Smorg that's S-M-O-R-G, or do a search for Cinema Smorgasbord on Facebook, and we have a group over there as well.
1: Uh, We would love if you would check out not just CinePunks.com, but all of CinePunks' social media, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. You can also follow each of us on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z. Doug is on uh, Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's Mm -hmm. T-I-L-L-E-Y. And we appreciate you not just uh, following us on social media, but, you know. Rate, review, subscribe to this uh, show, and tell a friend. Let them know that you're enjoying the smorgasbord of cinema, uh, and specifically the Vic DS stuff. I'm guessing if you're listening to this, you must hate all the other things we do.
0: I love when you go into your pitch man voice, Liam.
1: (laughs) Oh, I'm a real pitcher. Also, head on over to uh, Rough Cut Fan Club, buy yourself a T-shirt. You're going to like that shirt. It's going to fit you real good, and your friends are going to be jealous.
0: What's the latest T-shirt on that? uh, Oh, we
1: just dropped our... uh, Abel Ferrara double, Miss Forty Five, and Driller Killer. Nine
0: lives of the Wet Pussy. Oh, sorry, what? Oh
1: <laughs> you, you little snaggle Uh no, I mean, don't get me wrong. Do I wish it was a King of New York shirt? A little bit. I love me some King of New York. Um, and then we we actually have a new one coming before the end of the month that I think people will be excited about. Uh, not related to this show specifically, but sort of in the realm of stuff we cover here.
0: Interesting. Well, I'm curious about that as well. Yeah. Support uh, Liam, support the rough cut, support local businesses. I think everyone should stay healthy and safe, Liam. Uh, but uh, I think it's probably time for us to say goodnight.
1: All right. We're done here. Get out, get out of here. Get out of here. You little, you little scamps. Stop Bye. listening. Bye. Everybody. Listen, to, listen to another podcast. Go listen to some other podcast. Though your hair is all in tangles And your makeup is a mess The most of what you're drinking Is spilling down your dress And to keep from falling off your barstools About all that you can do I make my proposition Because I'm just as drunk as you Let's do something cheap and superficial Let's do something